This is a story about a murdering husband who manipulates a schoolgirl and lies for 40 years. That's how Headley Thomas describes his influential crime podcast, The Teacher's Pet, that led to the conviction of Chris Dawson in the New South Wales Supreme Court yesterday. In the story, Headley takes us to the northern beaches of Sydney, Australia. It's 1982. Mother of two, Lynette Dawson, just vanishes. Layers and layers of betrayal are peeled back. Bungled investigations unpicked. And new evidence, gathered throughout the storytelling, propels and renews interest in her mysterious disappearance. Yesterday, the latest episode played out in real time when Lynette Dawson's husband was taken into custody for her murder. And tonight we have our own instalment with the man himself, Headley Thomas. Congratulations, Headley. You'll be exhausted. Oh, pretty rung out, Karen. It's been a really long 24 hours. We spent five hours in court yesterday hearing Justice Ian Harrison deliver the reasons and... They were compelling, but also exhausting. There was so much detail, and it went back and forth. And it was a real roller coaster ride. Uh, today, I think, is a recovery day. Yeah, fair enough. When you say detail, was it detail that you knew? Yes, it was detail that we all knew. However, the judge needed to explain why he was either accepting it or rejecting it. And that took some time because we're talking about witnesses and their accounts. We're talking about the claims that Chris Dawson had made about what happened when Lynn Dawson suddenly disappeared. Chris Dawson's version was that his wife called him after leaving and told him that she needed some time away. She just wanted to have a few days away and then she continued calling him to say she needed more time away. The judge wanted to test that and come to a view. His view was that Chris Dawson was lying about all of those claims and he was lying out of a consciousness of guilt. But there were so many other things that the judge needed to take into account. That's why it took quite a while. And the judge really only gave a summary of his full reasons. We expect there'll be a whole lot more when it's published. You started out, Headley, with the presumption of guilt when it came to Chris Dawson, and you were ultimately proven right. That must give you a great sense of satisfaction when it comes to the justice in this. I started out believing that he probably killed Lynn Dawson, that he was the only person who would be a suspect in her disappearance if, in fact, it was foul play. And I believed, as did two coroners, that it certainly was foul play. As the investigation developed and I talked to more people, I became very sure that he had murdered Lynn Dawson. But that was not novel or new. Lynn's family and friends had held that view for many years. They knew Lynn would not voluntarily just walk away from her children, not have any contact with them again. In fact, only contact the one person, Chris Dawson, whose conduct had made her so unhappy given that he had wanted to start a whole new life himself with a schoolgirl who became a babysitter in the family home. Lynn Dawson was still prepared to cling to their marriage, but according to Chris, she just up and left one day and that was that. That story was so 
improbable, in fact, impossible for all of us to comprehend. And indeed, how would Lynn have started again? She didn't have any assets. She couldn't drive. She didn't have much money. Chris said she had $500 in 1982, but her family said that was a nonsense. She would not have had that, that amount of money. But again, even if you had had $500, you could hardly last for very long. She didn't work again. There was never any trace of her. No passport, no Medicare, no Centrelink. There was no driver's license. There was no evidence she ever worked as a nurse again. All of these factors made it just so ridiculous, this idea that she would have gone and only contacted Chris Dawson. And incredibly, the police treated Lynn's disappearance as a, as a runaway mother for eight years. There didn't appear to be any real attempt to treat it as anything else. And you've said you don't think that that would happen today. So has the social atmosphere changed? The atmosphere has changed fundamentally. If a Lynn Dawson disappeared today, a young mum with two little girls and a valuable home and a job and strong connections to family and friends, all of those factors make it just so suspicious. And there would be a police strike force immediately established to investigate really closely what was going on in her life. And police know from all of the studies and statistics that it is more than likely that the person or persons most close to the missing person, to the victim, are usually the ones who need to be looked at more closely. None of that happened in 1982 on the northern beaches of Sydney because Lynn Dawson was written off by her husband who spoke to the police as a runaway mum, as a woman who would abandon her family because she just had a bad night with one of the girls who was hard to put down and was crying through the night. So ridiculous. How was she ever going to support herself? But the story was accepted. And for eight years as the trail went cold, the cops did nothing. Then in the early 90s, the investigation was picked up. And only because the former babysitter, the former student who had become Chris Dawson's second wife, she left him. She returned to Sydney from Queensland's Gold Coast where she had a child with Chris Dawson and had been living with him near Chris's twin brother, Paul, and his family. But when she returned to Sydney and she says she returned because she was very fearful, she went to the police and told her story that Chris Dawson, she believed, had murdered Lynn as a result of his infatuation with her how, when those circumstances exist, would you not look at the husband and say, what powerful motive he had? But that didn't happen in the 1980s, even though Lynn's friends had pointed it out to police. They said, look at the circumstances here. This is so suspicious. Lynn loved her kids. She adored them. She couldn't have children for several years and until surgery. Why would she just abandon them and her home and her husband and stay away? And how would she support herself? None of it made sense. But again, the cops were so slow, so hopeless in those early years. That wouldn't happen today, at least now. And partly it's because we understand so much more about the circumstances of crimes committed in domestic situations, the more likely propensity of the male partner to be a perpetrator, as well as the fact that I think we are so much more connected now, Karen. You've got 
online and social media and the potential for alerts to be raised within minutes of someone disappearing, we become aware of something like this almost instantly. In those days, of course, no internet. People were still writing letters from country areas to loved ones in cities. So, you know, very different time of connectedness, but still, I think, inexcusable that the cops didn't take a closer look in those early years. This crime might have been solved four decades ago, and the freedom, the life that Chris has lived these past 40 years, well, you know, he may not have been able to enjoy that freedom if the police had done their job in the first place. Do you reckon he'd be in custody right now if the teacher's pet didn't exist? I'm asked this question quite a bit, and I think others are better placed to say, probably in the office of the DPP, but... Certainly, former detectives, senior lawyers, the family, they are all utterly convinced that it was the alarm, the concern, the anger that rose as a result of the teacher's pet that made a very powerful difference. It certainly caused some people to come forward and give statements to the police where they hadn't come forward before. And those statements were then considered by the office of the DPP and became perhaps influential in tipping the balance because the DPP had previously said no on multiple occasions when police said, look, we think we've got enough here. Can you prosecute? We've done this, we've done that. There were good police investigations after the original screw-ups, but the DPP repeatedly refused. This time, as the final episode of The Teacher's Pet was being prepared and we were about to release it in December 2018, the DPP told the police, we'll now prosecute, you have enough. Gee, yeah, the very thing that brought the case to laser focus, it could have imperiled the passage of justice, if you like, because Justice Harrison criticised the teacher's pet for a less than balanced view on the case. So were there any moments that you were actually genuinely worried that the podcast may hinder rather than help? Yes, I was. I was very concerned that that would happen, but... I couldn't change what I had done. I tried to put Chris's side of the story. I asked him to give it. I offered him unedited interviews. It's very difficult to balance a story which involves evidence that is actually all against Chris. And I think that's why the judge in his final analysis said, I am left in no doubt that Chris Dawson is guilty. Yeah, I couldn't make up or fabricate material to somehow put his side of the story when it didn't exist. The evidence, circumstantial as it was, did look overwhelming. Headley, Lynn's brother has made a request of Chris Dawson to provide information that reveals the whereabouts of her body, and that, that family needs that, but how likely is it? My own view, Karen, is that Chris Dawson would only share information about that if he believed there was something in it for him, such as early release on parole. That's years away, and it's possible he could be dead before he's eligible for parole. But if, for example, with a nobody, no parole law, such as we have in Queensland, but not in New South Wales, at least not in a mandatory sense, I suspect that Chris Dawson would not want to admit what he has done. I hope I'm wrong. The family needs to put Lynn to rest. Where do you think her remains are? What's your number one theory? I suspect that Lynn Dawson is somewhere between Bayview, 
and southwest rocks where Chris drove to pick up the babysitter with whom he was determined to return to the house and make the stepmother of his children his de facto and then his second wife. There's a lot of ground, national park, bushland between Bayview and the southwest rocks. I want to talk about obsession just for a minute because Chris Dawson moving a pupil into his home, murdering his wife, that's a very strong obsession. It was as if he lost his mind over this teenager. She was beautiful and he took enormous risks to be with her. He had tried to leave Lynn in several different ways so that he could start a new life with her. And when each of his attempts to leave his wife, to leave the family home, to start a new life with this student failed, he feared he was going to lose her. He was absolutely devastated at that prospect because she was the only person he believed he could have a happy life with. It was a very lustful attraction on his part. The sexual encounters were described by Justice Ian Harrison multiple opportunities that he took in the family car. Wherever there was an opportunity, Chris Dawson took that. And as the judge said, he was extremely enthusiastic in that pursuit. But Chris Dawson understood that the student who was on a schoolies trip with friends at Southwest Rocks when Lynn disappeared, he understood that she was ready to call it quits. The relationship was just too stressful. She was at a schoolies trip camping near the beach with boys her own age. There was a real risk that Chris would lose her to another 17-year-old and wouldn't her life have been so much happier if that had happened, if she had just gone back to seeing someone her own age and been rid of this influence that Chris Dawson had over her. But he was determined that would not happen. And within a couple of days of Lynn being murdered, he was picking her up at Southwest Rocks. It's a good five-hour drive from Bayview. She was in the car and he brought her back to the house at Bayview into his wife's bed, into the marital bed. And it was, as the prosecutor said, out with the old, in with the new. You called the podcast The Teacher's Pet, and that must have been quite a big decision because in case the blame for the situation unwittingly landed on the schoolgirl at the centre of it at the time, because she too was a victim in this, wasn't she? Caught up in this teenage passion with her teacher. Yes, she was, and groomed clearly by a man uh, twice her age, a teacher, so an authority figure. The idea to call it the teacher's pet came from evidence that her younger sister gave. And it was evidence that I could actually imagine. I, I saw it when I read the witness statement. What she told the police was that at school, at Cromer High, children at the school would tease her and her older sister and start singing the lyrics of that song, Don't Stand So Close To Me, about a teacher who is in a relationship with a student. That song was released and became a smash hit around the world right around the time Chris Dawson's connection with the student started. That gave me the idea for it. I understand the concern that some people have had, that it has objectified her. I hope that when people listen to it, though, they appreciate that, in fact, the story is significantly about a 
murdering husband who manipulates a schoolgirl and lies for 40 years. And that murdering husband, he's 74 now, and reported to be suffering from dementia, um, is he? Well, I don't know too much about his medical state. In fairness to Chris Dawson, it would be unsurprising if he had suffered head injuries because he was a first-grade rugby league footballer for the Newtown Jets. He had played football for the East Rugby Union Club. And I think it is now well understood that the knocks that footballers take can cause long-term damage. So I don't want to be cynical about his mental health. And can I say, just from a purely artistic perspective, the script for this podcast series, it reads so well. The imagery is very rich. Did you enjoy scripting it? Look, I think that the people with whom I was working, the scenery, the places that I was visiting, Bayview on the Northern Beaches, these are evocative places and the individuals, the characters, the witnesses, they were so compelling. And I suspect that they drew out of me something I didn't think I could do in conveying the texture and richness and I wanted to try to convey their stories as authentically and honestly as possible and hopefully through the writing that was done but uh, at times the deadlines and the challenges and pressures were just overwhelming and I wasn't sure that we would even get the episodes out on time because as a weekly episode was unfolding, I had to write a new one and get it scripted and narrated and produced and so on. And as that was going on, more evidence and information was coming in from listeners. People who had kept quiet for many years wanted to have their say finally. So at times it was a very frantic exercise and I'm glad you enjoyed the writing, but the audio at times is pretty ropey, I think. My audio skills have improved a little bit, I hope, in terms of recording. Yeah, well, I imagine now that you'll be a very strong contender for a, for a TV series, wouldn't you? I hope not, Karen. I'm much better off behind a microphone. <laughs> I'll take your word for that, Headley. Can we just end by bringing it back to the victim here, which is Lynn Dawson, Lynette Dawson? What kind of a person was she? She was the family's great organiser, the extended family's go-to for the organisation of parties, birthday parties and Christmas events, anniversaries. She was the one who had the best diary. She never forgot someone's special occasion. She was thoughtful. She was gentle. She was completely besotted with her two daughters. She didn't know that she'd be able to have children. When she was able to have children, she clung to them because they were her life. She was utterly dedicated to Chris. He was her high school sweetheart. They went to Sydney Girls High and Sydney Boys High. They were a very handsome young couple, and Lynn wanted to stay with him. She knew, she worked out that Chris Dawson had been conducting this relationship with a student a girl that Lynn had let into their home, believing that she needed help because she came from a troubled home herself and needed some refuge. And Lynn offered her that charity and then realised that while she was living in Lynn's home, 
this girl and Chris Dawson were having sex in the house, possibly even in Lynn's bed when she was not there. You can imagine the sense of betrayal when she told the girl that she had to leave. She did leave. But Chris Dawson didn't want the relationship to end. He wanted to be with her more than he wanted to be with his wife. Lynn believed that after a counselling session, a marriage counselling session on the Friday afternoon, they would actually be able to put their relationship back together. The marriage was not over. She told her friends at the childcare centre that it had gone well and that they would put it all right. They were seen holding hands going into the childcare centre after marriage counselling. But then she was never seen again. And then he killed her. And that's why Justice Ian Harrison convicted him. Well, congratulations again on helping bring Lynette Dawson's killer to justice. Thank you for joining us, Headley. Thank you for having me, Karen.